Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout, as always, Matt Williamson over there, Brian Peacock over here. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can follow Matt at Williamson NFL, and you can subscribe to the show and all of the podcasts here on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. And network-wide Mondays leading up to the draft, Matt, we've been doing Mock Draft Mondays, usually looking at the latest from the Draft Network, which is really cool. They drop a fresh mock every Monday. We will not be looking at Joe Marino's mock. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later in the week because I think he's got something yeah. big in store, but it's actually Sunday evening right now. We're going to look at my mock draft. This is Peacock Mock Day, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about my mock draft. Yeah, I'm excited. So the whole show is going to be dedicated to it. We can talk about different teams, different options they might have. Um, we will continue our free agency recap throughout the week, but a lot of draft stuff for, over this next month. I mean, we're less than a month away. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, we'll catch up on news Tuesday, whatever happens late weekend and Monday. We'll we'll get you caught up on that stuff on Tuesday. We'll continue looking at what teams have done division by division in free agency. And of course, it's draft season, so we'll be uh, deep into the draft every day as well here on Locked On NFL. And Matt, this isn't so much of a mock draft or projection. This is, I went deep into the minds of 32 NFL GMs. This is almost like a time traveling situation here. So I, I you might not like where I went with this, but don't blame me. I mean, it, it's okay. It, it's fair enough. It's not a comfortable place to be inside the brain of Dave Gettleman. You know what I mean? Oh, I hear you. So okay. you're taking, there's a lot of ways you can approach mocks. So you're taking it sort of from a predictive standpoint, what you think these teams would probably do, right? Yeah, try to get into their heads. What makes sense okay. for them? In a, there's three trades I do have in this mock draft. Does it make sense for the team moving back? Does it make sense for the team moving forward? What are these teams trying to accomplish and how I feel about the prospects and where they will ultimately end up? So let's get started with this thing. And yeah. no surprises at the top. It's Joe Burrow, number one, Chase Young, number two. And then at number three, we have some action, which is, I, I just, it just feels like that's the way this thing has to go because I don't think the Bengals are going to be answering the phone for Joe Burrow at number one. Do you? No. And I'm really warming up to the idea that that offense could be pretty good next year. It could be fun. Joe Mixon yeah. and obviously a healthy A.J. Green, that's going to help Joe Burrow a lot. And they're getting an extra first round pick next year because they lost their first rounder at left tackle last year. Right. Jonah Williams comes into that mix. I think Mixon is a sleeping giant, is, is really as good as just about any back in the league. Tyler Boyd's a really good player. Second year of the system, Burrow should acclimate quickly. So I think there's a chance that Bengal offense is pretty decent next year. And let's say, you know, they use first pick on Burrow at one and then Justin Jefferson, his, his top target at 33. You know, like they, you know, that, that first pick in every round is going to be fun for them, too. So to be more than just Burrow being added to that squad. Standard selection for Washington at pick two. He's the best player on the board. They've drafted their quarterback already. As long as they believe in their QB, unless they just get a mountain of an offer, Chase Young's just too good of a player to pass up at two. They have holes, but you just take the best guy here. And three is where things get interesting. And this is where I'm at with this. And first of all, I have to congratulate Chris Greer for successfully making everyone think after the combine that the Miami Dolphins really do like Justin Herbert. Because they don't. They love Tua. They're going to go up to get Tua because this is the way I look at it. You're sitting at five. You're Miami. Even if it's Herbert, 
if you really like a quarterback, are you going to sit there and let another team go up and get your guy? And if you don't care what quarterback you're going to get, what are you doing? I'm, I'm firing you if I'm the owner and I have a pre-draft meeting with my GM. He's like, oh, I don't know. We'll see which, 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 whatever quarterback falls to us at five. We'll draft that guy. We'll let somebody at six go up and steal the better quarterback. Now that's not happening. They have all this draft capital. They've spent all of this time collecting draft capital so they can make a move like this. And as long as Tua's hip is cooperating, which it looks like it is so far, we've got the Miami Dolphins moving up. They give up their last uh, first round pick. They have three, pick 26 overall to move up with Detroit. And for the Lions, they're going to get the same guy they were going to get at three anyway, and they get an extra first rounder. So it makes sense for both sides. Dolphins, go up and get your quarterback. First of all, from the Lions' perspective, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. If you'd happen to lose out on Akuda, okay. I mean, you could live with Brown or, you know, Simmons. I mean, there's a lot of defensive dudes you could take here and make yourself better or trade that again. Um, I've been saying all along that I don't think you can get to a, at five. I still believe that, but I also think that no prospect is hurt more with the, by the coronavirus than him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just you better have some inside scoop and you better feel confident that I just feel in general for the players that have medical I feel for them, you know, that, that this is a awful year for them. They're going to fall across the board round after round. But Miami's been in on this guy forever. They have Fitzpatrick. If Tua doesn't play a snap or plays week 17 like Mahomes does for them in 2020, it's still a good move. And luckily they had the combine checks and they were all good reports there for Tua. We've seen him moving around. They're going to have a chance to meet with him over Skype or over Zoom or whatever teleconference and have one of their visits with him. They should be able to either get an MRI and have a recheck with Tua's doctor or with their doctor or make that situation uh-huh. work. I assume they're going to be able to get all of that stuff done. And as long as everything looks good with those reports, I still like Tua to Miami at number three. The only question I would have is, do the Lions say, you know what, we actually like the Chargers offer because if the Chargers want Tua as well and they make an offer, Miami can come over the top of that with picks this year. But what if the Lions say, you know what? We would prefer to have a next year first anyway. So Chargers, your next year first is just as good as Miami's late first this year because it might be higher than 26 anyway. And next year, we won't be going through all this stuff with the quarantine. And maybe we'll have that extra pick. And who knows then? Maybe we'll have an opportunity to move on and go get our own quarterback at the top and go get Lawrence. So maybe a future first makes more sense for the Lions. That's the only way I see the Chargers being able to compete in this thing. Yeah, that's a, that's an exceptional point. And then... I mean, Miami could even spruce the pot up even more. Well, how about a second as well as that? Who knows? They have a lot of cards in their deck for this year. But you're right. I mean, if I'm the Lions, although, will Matt Patricia still be there? I would absolutely want a 2021 first of the Chargers as opposed to a late first this year, especially because you're going to know more. Maybe Stafford has moved on. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's a great, great thing to hold on to. I've been waiting to bring this up because the you have the Chargers taking Herbert at six. And I've heard over the weekend from several sources, different podcasts, people I trust, that the rumor is, and golden rule number one, don't believe any rumors this time of <laughs> year. But many people are starting to throw it out there. The Chargers don't like Herbert. And if that's true... What a wrinkle that would be. I mean, because, like, your draft makes a ton of sense. Okay, we'll take Herbert at six. Great. But if by chance they don't love him, that's a really weird situation. 
And it would be a, a nice spot for them if they don't love him. They go offensive tackle there because they sure. still have that need. And then you're talking about a frenzy, potentially, if some other teams later want to get up and get Herbert, and that would really throw a wrench in the whole first round and make things start to look very interesting. But I do have Herbert going to Los Angeles at six. Uh, by the way, we skipped Mekhi Becton at four to the New York Giants. I know Gettleman likes big people. They have the need at offensive tackle. I don't think Gettleman's ever taken an offensive tackle in the first round, which gives me a little pause. And I thought about throwing Isaiah Simmons in there, but they just added, they just signed two linebackers in free agency. So I like Becton. I think the size works there. I think the upside is there, but it could be any of the four top tackles I could see going in any order in the spots that I have the tackles going here. Okuda at five to the Lions, and then Herbert at six to the Los Angeles Chargers. And when it comes to the Chargers, could be offensive tackle. You, you said it right there, though. So the rumors right now are that Miami likes Herbert and the Chargers don't like Herbert. So I'm willing to put money down that it's the exact opposite of that, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, don't jump into that deep end yeah. that entirely. Uh, let's back up the Giants super quick because I, I would have put Beckton there too. I think Simmons would be really, really hard to pass on, but you got a lot invested in Jones. I mean, Gettleman and the history of that franchise – they like size, you know, they are, and big people are what the Giants are all about. Beckton is perfect for them. That's exactly how I would have done it. I don't know if I believe Chargers don't like Herbert or not, but if they don't, that's just a really weird wrinkle to the beginning of the draft. Absolutely. You could see them go Simmons, and that would be an awesome pair with uh, Simmons and Derwin James, or they could go offensive tackle, so things will get very interesting if indeed the Chargers do not like Herbert or if they're willing to go crazy with a trade offer to try to outdo Miami if Tua is the only quarterback they like and they don't like Herbert. So that, that could get fun, and that would only benefit teams like the Giants and Lions that are in front of Miami. And I still think they should call Winston or Newton. Los Angeles? The Chargers, yes. The way this is lining up is that they they really think that they're going to get a quarterback. Maybe if they don't, then they go back to the free agent market. I could see that. Maybe, maybe. All right, uh, let's take a quick break here. We're going to go a little bit faster to get all of these 32 picks in on Mock Draft Monday. That brings us to pick seven here, and this is just best player available. They lost one of an all-time linebackers there in Carolina, Isaiah Simmons at seven. I've got Jedrick Wills, eight, to the Arizona Cardinals, this is just that I think he's the best offensive tackle in this class. I think he moves well. I think he fits the scheme there. He was playing right tackle at Alabama. He could play left in a heartbeat. That was to his blind side at Alabama. I really like Jedrick Wills, so I couldn't put another uh, offensive tackle in here. And I think the movement skills really fit well with the Arizona Cardinals. Do you like or dislike either of those last two picks, seven or eight? Very fine with both. I think they're both you know, pretty much slam dunks at this position. One note I wanted to make, though, is I've heard some interviews with Matt Rule even before he took the Panthers job, and he is all about speed. You know, like at the college level, he wasn't real concerned about what kind of football players they were. He brought speed, speed, speed. They assigned, you know, Anderson, the, the wide receiver. Yep. Uh, I think that's going to translate. So when you, when you pigeonhole teams with the Panthers or players with the Panthers, keep that in mind. At all positions, he's going to covet speed and Simmons absolutely fits yeah. there speaking of speed pick number nine this is a big trade here and this is one where you start thinking about what the Broncos are looking at now at 15 and they're looking at 11 12 13 thinking okay there's all three wide receivers could potentially be off the board every mock draft you see conveniently has 
Henry Ruggs falling to the Broncos at 15. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Broncos have three third-rounders in this draft. If you want a wide receiver and you want to pick one at 15, go get one of the best wide receivers in this class. Don't settle for a second-tier wide receiver if that's what your big board looks like at 15. Spend a third-round pick and go up and call the Jaguars, call the Browns, see if you can move up to 9 or 10 in front of the New York Jets there and draft your wide receiver. And that's exactly what they did here. They made a trade with the Jacksonville Jaguars at pick number 9, and they select... Henry Ruggs, who was not my top wide receiver in this draft, but I love the speed element for the Broncos to go with Cortland Sutton. And Henry Ruggs, here's what's interesting, is he can flat out fly. The NFL loves speed. And it's interesting that two players that he gets compared to the most, Ted Ginn and John Ross, they both went number nine in their respective drafts and and kind of shocked some people how high they went. I think Judy's the best wide receiver in this class. I think most teams will have it that way. But I think there's going to be a few teams that have Lamb as their number one and a few teams that have Ruggs number one. I've got Ruggs nine to the Broncos after a trade-up. I like the way you spelled it out. I mean, and also from a Jags perspective, I know they have a ton of picks, but there wasn't a guy that just jumps off the board there at nine for them either. So you move back to 15, may even get the same guy or a similar player. They need everything. Um, I think they're, you know, maybe they're in the uh, Lawrence sweepstakes as well. Originally, I thought... Boy, this looks like 2014. Trade up for Sammy Watkins in a great receiver draft. That's not exactly the way you draw it up to yeah. do good business. But Ruggs opposite Sutton really is the compliment they need. You know, I mean, Locke's also a big arm guy. Ruggs will open up a lot of space in the run game. I like it. I mean, I think most of us have Ruggs not amongst the top two or their best receiver in this draft. But what he does is just so special. And you mentioned, you know, where Ross or yeah, where Ross and Ginn went. You know, I mean, rare speed scares defensive coordinators more than anything. And you like you don't want to play against them. Right. Yeah. And don't be surprised when speed goes really, really high. Daniel Jeremiah mm-hmm. tweeted out that he wouldn't be surprised if Ruggs is the first wide receiver selected. And actually, so I did this mock draft on Thursday. And I was almost a little bit bummed out that on Friday, uh, I think it was on NFL.com, was it maybe it was Chad? I can't remember. Ryder. Yeah, Chad Ryder, I think, or one of the other analysts. I think it was Chad Ryder had his mock draft, and he had the Broncos trading up and drafting rugs. And I was bummed because I did my mock first, but I didn't. we didn't do the podcast about it yet. But um, I'm starting <laughs> to feel a little bit better because he had a similar move. And the reason I went Jaguars, not Browns, because Jaguars moving down to 15, I like where they're at at 15. The Browns, if you're looking at an offensive tackle as they did here drafting Tristan Wirfs, those top four tackles might be gone by 15, and the Browns already have an extra third rounder. So I think calling Jaguars first would make a lot of sense for the Broncos. So Yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. if I'm the Browns, I don't want to get behind the Bucs. Exactly. That was my thinking to go to nine yeah. instead of 10, because I've, I've, I've heard some chatter about 10 potentially for a team that wants to get a wide receiver, and I don't know if the Browns would want to go that far. I wouldn't if I was in charge of the Browns. Tristan Wirfs, offensive tackle out of Iowa at 10. I think he fits the outside zone there with his athleticism. Sure. Got the New York Jets at 11 going Jerry Judy and then back-to-back wide receivers there with the Las Vegas Raiders selecting C.D. Lamb. And Judy's my number one wide receiver, so he goes first here. And I really like the fit with C.D. Lamb 
with John Gruden's Raiders because of his offense. I think they have Williams on the outside as your downfield threat. So more of a target hog wide receiver in Lamb can give you something after the catch. I think that Mayock, it's a Mayock special. He likes players that have that dog in them and that competitiveness. And Lamb has that competitiveness at the catch point and after the catch. So I think Lamb to the Raiders is one of my favorite fits in the first round. Yeah, and he is a very different style receiver than Terrell Williams and even Waller. You know, I mean, it gives them something they don't have, and they have the pure slot and Renfro. I mean, he's kind of the perfect in the middle of all those guys. I like that fit a lot. I was surprised when my San Francisco 49ers were on the clock here at 13 that the best player available, I did not do this on purpose. I thought (laughs) wide receiver all along, and part of the reason was getting into the Niners' head knowing, okay, we're thinking wide receiver here. Broncos go up. Now all three wide receivers are gone. Derek Brown, though, is still on the board. He's best player available. The 49ers just traded away this pick and uh, traded away DeForest Buckner, their defensive tackle, to get this pick. Derek Brown, if he's still on the board, that means a bunch of good players went ahead of the 49ers that they might have been looking at. So I think you go best player available. You go Derek Brown, and you're still rolling on your defensive line. Yeah, and he's more... He's a little bit different stylistically than they have on their defensive line. Yeah. I mean, he's a 4-3 defensive tackle, old school, you know what I mean? And not that they wouldn't yeah, to turn a cheek against this guy. I mean, frankly, I don't think he'd be there at 13. By the way you just said things, I bet you don't think he'd be there at 13. No. But 12 guys have got to go. I mean, there's, again, 16 really good players in this draft. They can go in any order. And that's kind of the beauty of this Niners trade is – if you don't go in there saying, I have to get Jerry Judy or bust because you got pick 31 in your pocket, you kind of hang there and say, I'll just wait till a star falls to me. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. Right. And Brown was the runner up multiple picks. I mean, seven, eight, he would have been the pick for the Jaguars at nine, but the trade happened and there's another good defensive tackle later. If you're looking for a one for one swap, I think Javon Kinlaw is actually more like right. DeForest Buckner than Derek Brown is, but Derek Brown was the best Longer, player available. He's yeah, a monster. Right. Like he just doesn't go backwards. I like Derek Brown and he can get after the quarterback. That brings us to 14, an easy selection. This one is mocked so often that it almost can't happen, right? Andrew Thomas, left tackle to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That brings us to Jacksonville, who moved down to 15, and they took Javon Kinlaw. So still get a really good player there. It's a trade I would love to see for the Jaguars. Makes a lot of sense for them. Then CJ Henderson, cornerback to the Atlanta Falcons, and that's the end of the first half of round one. Any thoughts there on those last few picks? I often say 16 is going to be best defensive player available. And I, again, I think this is a 16 player draft and then you draw a line and uh, you know, your 16 are the same as mine so far. So you're going to get one of those. I mean, Jacksonville at 15 getting Kinlaw probably isn't all that much different than who they would have taken at nine. And you pick up some other goodies Maybe they're taking Brown instead of Kinlaw, but, you know, I mean, they're still getting, you know, top guys that are clear first-round grade players. So the first 16 to me, I mean, I wouldn't bet that those are going to be the 16 guys picked, but I do think there are 16 really good prospects, and in your mock, they're gone. I mean, as kind of expected. Absolutely. I agree 100%. There's a top 16, and that was them, which brings us to the Cowboys at 17. Uh, real quick, though, when it came to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it was it was really close between Kinlaw and C.J. Henderson, and I think for the Falcons, they just kick back and wait, and whoever the Jaguars yeah. would have taken, the Falcons run the card up for either Henderson or Kinlaw there at 16. Right. 16's a great spot for them. Absolutely. Dallas Cowboys and the rest of the first round. Not a great spot. <laughs> yeah, not a great spot. 
this is where things got very difficult. And I thought about the Cowboys. Where are they at? They just, they're all pro center, just retired suddenly. And then I thought, man, Connor Williams also tore his ACL in November. Is he even going to be ready to start the season? So that interior offensive line need is massive right now for the Dallas Cowboys. You've got Joe Looney, and now they've got Cesar Ruiz. And I think when you talk about the, the the line there after 16, I think you could see a ton of people that could go as high as 17. They could go as late as, you know, at the end of the top 50, you know, early round two, late round one. There's a lot of interchangeable pieces. And for the Cowboys, they've not been afraid to draft offensive linemen and interior offensive linemen high. Cesar Ruiz is the number one interior offensive lineman in this class and is really their only opportunity to just draft a guy, plug him in there and not really miss a beat. And it's sort of, usurps the other need right now for the Cowboys. It's funny because when I read this mock the first time, I'm like, eh, that's kind of early for him. Why not trade back eight spots and still get him? But then I'm thinking maybe Miami would take him at 18 right behind him anyway. You know I mean? Long time foundation interior offensive lineman for rebuilding team like Miami is really valuable. And we've seen how valuable it's been for the Cowboys over the years. I mean, Everybody bashed him. How could you take Fredericks in the first round? Well, he was one of the best center in the league. I mean, that that has extreme value. I, I like this pick a lot. I think it's a very Cowboy-like pick. My hunch is, though, if they would pick 16, they wouldn't have taken Ruiz. You know, like, yeah. they'd, they'd take any of those other 16 ahead of him. Right, yeah, Basically. and yeah, Christian yeah. Fulton was right there, and it was hard not to take Fulton instead of Ruiz, yeah. but I went with Cesar Ruiz. And then uh, stayed with the offensive line with the Miami Dolphins, Josh Jones, offensive tackle at 18, then went Christian Fulton to the Raiders with their second pick in the first round, cornerback out of LSU at 19. Jacksonville Jaguars up again, taking another corner, a run on cornerbacks there, A.J. Terrell. And maybe even starting at 17 with Dallas, as you alluded to, I don't think Miami will do it, but there absolutely could be a run of corners in this early, to start the second half of the first round. And that's a position we know everybody loves. Maybe you're overdrafting them a little, but corners get overdrafted as do offensive tackles. Josh Jones fits that mold too, where if you don't, if there's a line at 16, then you go take you know positions of extreme value, tackles, corners, that type of thing. So that makes perfect sense to me. And that, could, and that leads right into the Eagles, too. I mean, they're going to have a corner or a receiver that they like there. Same with the Vikes at 22. It works out well. Absolutely right. After back-to-back corners, I went back-to-back wide receivers here. The Philadelphia Eagles at 21 taking Denzel Mims. I liked the speed option there for them with Mims, and then Justin Jefferson out of LSU going to the Vikings at the next pick at 22 overall. And when you look at all of these corners here at 16, 19, and 20, then the wide receivers at 21 and 22, and even those top three wide receivers, they're all really helped out right now by especially a cornerback because there's a lot of prospects that don't have 40 times out there right now that didn't work out at the Combine, and players like Jefferson, who ran a great time at the Combine, maybe better than expected, and he's ready to jump in and play for a win-now team with the Vikings. And then Denzel Mims, who followed up that awesome, he dominated in one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl, then comes out and runs 4-3-8 Julio Jones-like numbers at the Combine. I would be blown away at this point if Denzel Mims is not a first-round wide receiver with a lot of wide receiver need at the end of the first round. And all those players that worked out and ran really good times at cornerback like Terrell, they helped themselves out by working out at the combine and looking good. 
Yeah, it's well thought out. And I do think the Eagles are more in the long strider, deep threat, Mims versus Jefferson. I think they would lean towards Mims. Mm -hmm. And I think the Vikings would be happy with that. Thielen and Diggs notoriously have been slot and outside guys, you know, some versatility there. I think Jefferson eventually projects that way as well. So um, both those teams, I think, would be very happy with those wideouts. Seen a lot of quarterback to the New England Patriots at 23. I don't love love for the Pats. I'm going with a name that I have not seen to the Pats here, and the guy who, for me, is the edge two in this class, and that's Yitor Gross Matos. And there's a name that some people out there are probably thinking, well, why hasn't this one edge player gone yet? And I think it's going to be Gross Matos, who's the second edge off the board, and it's not a great edge class, but what Gross Matos has that none of these other prospects have is he's got the projection. He's got the length prototype 6'5", 265, long arms. I heard an interview with him where he said he claimed he was going to run a 4.5. And I was thinking, well, if you were going to run a 4.5, you should have done it at the combine because that would have blown people away, right? But he has the athleticism. He had some nice jumps at the combine. He put up 17 and a half sacks the last couple of years, and he's still raw and can get better with his technique. So I like Etier Gross Matos, and it seems like a Patriot-style pick to, to draft that projectable style of edge player and and physically he's you know Jason Pierre-Paul or even Chandler Jones who the Pats took in the 20s right in the past and that's the style of player that the NFL covets on the edge that's why I have him going off the board before players like Kaylevon Chason and AJ Epinesa yeah and I think they do covet Chandler Jones like length you know and high ceiling at that position I, I've talked a couple times. I can't see Belichick liking love. And frankly, I might rather have Stidham than love. And uh, so uh, I'm not sure if the Patriots are in the quarterback market right now, especially at 23. They have so many other needs. You might as well get a a high a position that's hard to fill. You know, I mean, edge guys don't grow on trees. New Orleans Saints start to see some linebackers come off the board here at the end of round one. Saints drafting Staying home, drafting LSU linebacker Patrick Queen. Linebacker with a ton of speed, coverage, ability, modern-day linebacker. We've got Epinesa here going to the Minnesota Vikings at 25. I like Epinesa to the Vikings, and he might have even slipped a little bit further, but the Vikings might be trying to work in some more multiple elements on the defensive side of the ball instead of being such a strict 4-3 team and have a little bit more of an odd front going on maybe some more 3-4 type elements and AJ Epinesa is a great fit for that because he can be your 4-3 base end he can kick inside rush in a four-man front from the interior he can also be and maybe it's his best spot as a five-tech defensive end so he fits any of those situations on defense for the Vikings so I like Epinesa going to the Vikings now that Griffin looks like he's moving on and then here comes Caleb on chase on going to the Detroit Lions, who had that extra pick that they got from Miami. And even if Miami still had this pick, I would like this selection for them at 26 as well. He's one of my players that's going to fall a little bit in this draft just because I don't like the projection as a full-time edge for him unless you're talking about a team that runs an odd man front and he can be a stand-up rusher for you because he just doesn't have that size and prototype length like someone like Gross Matos does. And he only has nine and a half career sacks. So the production and his projection with his body type He's only going to fit a few teams, and I think he might slide a little bit, and that might surprise some people for what kind of athlete he is. And he didn't get a chance to run and show what kind of athlete he was with his workouts. Yeah, again, well said. Um, I do think the Vikings would take Epinesa over Chase on for all the reasons you mentioned. 
they want physicality and size there. They want guys that can hold up on the run, even if they are just playing a base four three. Epinesa's a lot more like the guys they've had than Chase on is, in my opinion. And supposedly the beauty of Chase on is, boy, he's a great athlete. You know, he he would he would test super great. Well, he didn't have a pro day, so yeah. we don't really know that. But the Lions have Flowers, who's much different than Chase on. I bet they would like the the bender speed guy is something they don't have right now. Absolutely. And at a certain point, it's like, okay, this guy's too good of an athlete. Let's make him fit. Mm-hmm. And, and he works with a, a defensive scheme like the Detroit Lions are running. For the Seattle Seahawks, I have Grant Delpit going here. He's the only safety I have going in round one. I, I just think that his athleticism, his ability in center field with a class that's got some second-round types at safety, a lot of teams can wait, I think, on safety if, they, if you want more of a – uh, you know, a half field safety, more of a box safety. You can find that player. Grant Delpit is a little bit unique in this class with his range in the back end. And I know he has to clean some things up as a tackler, but the Seahawks have had a hell of a time trying to fill that role since Earl Thomas has moved on. And they got Quandre Diggs, but I think he can do a lot of things for your defense and he can play closer to the box and he can play in the slot a little bit. I like Delpit as the Seahawks finally getting that center fielder with the range in that cover three defense to cover some ground there. Baltimore Ravens have a big need at linebacker. Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma going to Baltimore at 28. Austin Jackson, offensive tackle from USC to Tennessee Titans. I just like the need, and I wasn't sure maybe Ezra Cleveland, but a young offensive tackle with upside at the end of round one for the Tennessee Titans is one of the toughest picks in the draft here, trying to figure out where I wanted to go with 29. The players went a little bit earlier that I was hoping if I'm the Titans to get late in round one. I, I like the way you looked at this. I'm sure the Ravens at 29 or 28 would be happy with queen or Murray. That second level really needs work. And I, I might prefer Murray, but either way, um, Seattle, I thought that was a way, good way of laying it out, their thought process. And I agree with you that true frees are harder to find and are more valuable than true strongs. And Delpit could be that deep middle guy, maybe even complete that secondary after trading for Dunbar and then digs the year before. Quick question for you. Would you have given the Seahawks one of those three edge that just fell if they would still been there over Delpit? Yeah, I was thinking edge for the Seahawks. Yeah. They went right in front of them and then... I, it's looking like they still might be able to get a deal done with uh, Jadavian Clowney, which in which case would, would make this sort of a pick stronger and they wouldn't have to worry about which edge falls in a bad edge class anyway and just shore that up and not have to worry about drafting strictly for need at the end of round one for the Seahawks. Yeah, and as for Austin Jackson, I think the Titans would love to get an edge guy too, but there aren't any and they're, they get scooped up and I'm not reaching for one. Um, this is as good a pick as any. I mean, might as well. He may take a year, but you can handle that, and you could probably bump someone into guard if need be. And uh, they did resign Kelly, but he's not Conklin. So uh, I, I think when in doubt, grabbing a tackle with his kind of ability in Austin Jackson that late in the first round, it's hard to argue with. Last three picks here in round number one, 30, the Green Bay Packers. I've got him taking Jalen Rager wide receiver, explosive receiver out of TCU, and he's just different than what they have. And it it seems like such a perfect fit, but I almost wonder if the Packers just don't want that style of receiver, which makes me second-guess this pick a little bit, but it seems like it's such an obvious need. They need that fast, explosive receiver. At this point in round one, Rager would make a lot of sense to the Packers, I think. Makes great sense to me, and it'd be a great landing spot. 
I'm with you though. I mean, are they happy? Ah, we got Funches, we got Kumaro, yeah. we're good. Like, I hope that's not the way they're looking at this. Alan Lazard, and it seems like they right, just want right. to run a you know a really big front court out there instead of uh, some dynamic speed. And he would instantly be the fastest wide receiver on their roster. The Indianapolis Colts I have trading up with the 49ers at pick 31, and this ends the fall, if you want to call it a fall, of quarterback Jordan Love. And I see a team, if they like Love, getting into that end of round one area. First of all, because I like him better late round one than maybe mid round one, as I've seen him mocked in some other places. And also, moving up a few spots, you get a chance to have that fifth-year option for a project quarterback that you know is not going to play early on, probably not for a full year, and then you know who knows beyond that if you're the Indianapolis Colts. But they get their quarterback of the future, I think, by bringing in Rivers. They have made the statement that Jacoby Brissett is not their guy long-term. So they come up, they get the fifth-year option, get a long-term project at quarterback with Jordan Love, and the 49ers who don't have a pick in round two, three, or four move down to the second and get an extra third on top of it. That does make sense. I mean, Rivers is only a one-year deal. There's not a guarantee he comes back. Love could be your third quarterback all year long, not even be active on game day, total redshirt year, and then you have four more years of him to figure out can he be the man or not, and um, still with Brissett in the mix, I would imagine. Quick question for you, though, from a Niner perspective, do you make this deal if Jalen Rager is still on the board, or do you just take Rager? Yeah, there's there's enough wide receivers that I think you would have to listen to offers Mm-hmm. Rager would be a nice fit, I think, for what the 49ers might be looking for at wide receiver. Or if Mims or if Jefferson were there, I think Jefferson is someone who's definitely a Kyle Shanahan type if one of those players were to fall for the 49ers, especially if they don't go wide receiver at 13. I think ideally they're going to go wide receiver at 13. That's what they'd like to do. It didn't fall this way for them, so they're going to have to find some value in round two or round three. And by the way, the Colts still have another pick coming up in a few picks at 34, so they didn't even have to trade their early second. They were able to trade 44 to get up here, and they can still draft another player at the top of round two. And interesting that they ended up spending each other's picks, the 49ers and Colts, in the first round. Colts starting with 13 end up with 31, and these teams have already had talks. So lines of communication are open. Maybe they've already talked about this type of scenario potentially happening on draft day. That brings us to the final selection in the Peacock mock. That is the Kansas City Chiefs. And I thought about running back here. No running backs off the board in round one. But I thought, okay, if you're the Chiefs, what would be better at the end of round two? Would you be able to find Cam Akers still there or Edward Tolaire? And look, I thought Daryl Williams was maybe the MVP of the Super Bowl for them yeah, at running right. back. So I've got him taking a scrappy, dynamic cornerback in Jeff Gladney out of TCU. I like the late round one corner with late round two running back combo if they wanted to go that route better than vice versa. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of positional value, corner versus running back isn't close, and there's still five really good ones on the board that maybe there's they last another round. I absolutely like that. I If I were them, I would have ran to the podium for Murray or Queen. I really think they could use speed on the second level, but they're gone, and so almost like give me best defensive player available and preferably a corner. That's it. That is my mock draft as of now, late March. We've got, what, four weeks? We've got a month still until the draft comes, and we will continue to hit mocks every Monday. Matt, when is your mock draft coming? Ooh, I can do that soon. I haven't given it much thought, but I'm up for doing one. Okay, whenever the, whenever it hits you, I don't want you to force it. I want you to feel okay. right about it. I felt right about it this week, so whenever you feel right about it, let me know. We'll do 
Matt Williamson's mock at some point in the next four weeks or so. Uh, and we also, we're going to have that April 10th. We're going to launch on, it's Friday, April 10th, oh, and yeah, then the wow. rest of the next week we'll do that a mock draft special all week long with everybody on the Locked On Podcast Network. So that should be a lot of fun too. So stay tuned for that. We're over time here, so we got to go. Be back tomorrow with all the news, breaking down more post-free agency, looking ahead to the draft right here, Locked On NFL.